ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 proudly present The Killer Bees. Definitely a fan of The Killer Bees. Don't sweat the technique. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here comes the fastest three hours in Houston sports radio. Here's Joe Blank and Jeremy Branham. Oh, hell yeah. You about to get all stung up. Ooh, what up, H-Town? Hey, how we doing? He's Blank. I'm Branham. It's Joe George behind the glass, and it is day two of the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5 of 2024. Taco Tuesday, still my invention. Uh, how's it going? Happy New Year. Blankers. Happy New Year, boys. How long can you tell somebody Happy New Year? I already think it's excessive. What is the statute of limitations? I watched something from, uh, it was on Twitter earlier, Larry David, Curb Your Enthusiasm, where he's like, eh, it's a bit late. What, what is too long? How long until you have to tell somebody Happy New Year? I think if it happens over the course of a weekend, you have until the weekend is wrapped up and you start a new week. Mm-hmm. It's a little quirky this year being on a Monday. But I normally give it like two days after, like to the third, and, See, the, and then we're done. I think you can give it to the through the week, yeah. through whatever day it falls on. Like you're right, like now there's going to be more days because it's on a Monday. But I feel like you can say it all the way through the end of this week. I also believe that if it happened to be on a Thursday, you get that Thursday, you get that Friday, you get that Saturday, you get that Sunday. That's it. Right. No more. And you can also only do it whenever you see a person for the first time of the new year. You can't see somebody for a second time. But, oh, happy new year. No, 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 no. You get one chance to wish somebody a happy new Initial. year. And that's the first time you see them in the new year. That's yeah, initial in- interactions. And it's also awkward, like, at the gym when a buddy of mine decided that everybody that he's seen and known for a long time, but he, he wanted to go out of his way to make sure he wished every single person uh, a happy 2024 today. And I was like, isn't that a bit much? Yeah, like, it's a bit much. I do appreciate the politeness, mm-hmm. but he better stop by the end of the week, and he can only do it once. He can only do it once. Joe, any objection here? No, end of the week is totally fine with me. All right. All right. So we probably have some new listeners today than we did yesterday. Yesterday, a holiday show. So to the Hive, Happy New Year. Yes. It's our one time. That's it. It's our one time. We're not telling you any more Happy New Year's. We've, we've, we've exhausted our one time. Uh, Houston Texans won a football game this Sunday, Blankers. We, mm-hmm. we couldn't talk about it yesterday. You and I didn't talk about right. it yesterday. Uh, they've locked in a winning record, which is unbelievable, uh, from where the Texans came from. Four wins, three wins, four wins in the last three years. They've won 11 games in the last three years. They've won at least nine this year. They've locked in a winning record. Where does credit have to go to for this winning record? If we're looking at this like a pie chart, pardon my nerdness for a second, but if we're looking at this from a pie chart, how much goes to D'Amico and the coaching staff? How much goes to the players? How much goes to ownership? How much goes to the general manager, Nick Casario? Where do we give credit for the Houston Texans winning season that they've already locked up? I'm going to start with at least the majority of it, no matter what you think of everything else and all the debauchery and debacles that we've been through as Texans fans watching this team over the last three years. It's all the games are decided by the players on the field. So you have to give the players, uh, if not a majority of that credit, you have to give them a a substantial amount of that credit. I'd say at least 50% have to go to the players that are on the field. And then from there, for me, I I think that a lot of it would be divvied up pretty closely between D'Amico and Casario. And Casario was here for the last three years. So evidently, if he had a plan that we weren't aware of, maybe it was following his plan by taking the two bridge coaches that should have been one and done the fighting Rex Burkheads that has turned into what he's done this year. But D'Amico gets a lot of credit because of the fact that he, he brought organization, he brought structure, he brought belief, he brought trust, he brought all the values that you really didn't see in this coaching staff over the last two years. So I, I would say that in trying to just off the top of my head do the, the raw numbers, but I would go, I think, 50% to the players, 30% to, to uh, D'Amico, and then I'd go 20% to Casario. Ownership does its best by getting out of the way and letting everybody that's the smartest football people in the room do the football. You do obviously see a difference in ownership with Hannah's involvement and the way they've kind of tried to resurrect their image. But I, I, I don't think that that had anything to do, per se, with the turnaround. It had a lot to maybe get the fans more hyped up about uniforms and things like that. But I would just go 50-30-20. Yeah, I think that's a, a fair thing to say. The, one of these textures says, can we go pyramid? You can do it however you choose. But pyramid doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I think ownership always comes into play at least 10%, like no matter what. Because ownership is responsible. Really. I mean, they're the, they're the head of the snake. you got to sign off. you yeah. you, you got you to hire people. Uh, a lot of people wanted him to fire Casario, did not. Uh, a lot of people wanted them to hire D'Amico. 
They did. They also hired Lovey and Cully the first couple of years, employed Easterby. So ownership has a heavy influence in any organization, and it's it's impossible to escape bad ownership. Uh, look what's going on with Dave Tepper in Carolina. Look at other bad owners around whatever league you want to look at. You know, some they, they can have success every now and then, but you're not going to have a winning program. You're not going to have a winning organization. So ownership, I think, is always a minimum 10%. I'll give them 10% here. I think Casario like needs a healthy amount of uh of of like i guess compliments here i think you have to give casario a lot of flowers here you look at some of the, you look at this roster and who is helping with this roster there's been a lot of players that Casario's literally picked up off the streets this year that are helping you win. Um, would he have drafted Stroud without D'Amico? We never know, but he's the general manager that did it. He's the general manager that traded up and got Will Anderson, who's been an, an uber-productive player for the Houston Texans this year. I, I believe, like a lot of people would, are, would give D'Amico way more credit than Nick Casario because like, he's coming here, he's changed the culture, he's won nine games when they've won 11 games the previous three. But coaches can't win without a good roster. Like, if you believe, if you still believe that Bill Belichick's a good coach, I do. Look at Bill Belichick with a bad roster. It is hard to win with a bad roster. Casario's built the roster. So I think Casario needs a healthy amount of credit. D'Amico needs a healthy amount of credit. I would give the players the most credit. I would give D'Amico slightly more credit than Casario. Casario then would have more than the, the ownership. I, I found this interesting from D'Amico Ryans the other day. He, he brought up Nick Casario, again, unwarranted. Like, no one really asked about Nick. But he brought up Nick Casario and had this to say about Casario's impact on the Texans this season. And we've had to move a lot of things around uh, due to injuries and things with our roster. So just thankful to Nick and his staff for, you know, bringing in the right guys. And it starts there and bringing – it all starts with the right guys and then the players that these guys are stepping in and being able to catch up quickly. Or we throw a lot at our guys and they're able to catch up quickly and fit right in with what we ask them to do, play hard, play relentless, play smart football. And we're happy to have, you know, when it comes to Barnett, uh, Desmond has stepped in and made plays for us, uh, adding Kareem, adding Amos. I mean, we've added DAC when we didn't have him to start. So there's a lot of – Different guys, right, who weren't here at the beginning of the year, but it just shows, right, the resolve of our team that no matter who's in, guys are doing their absolute best and helping us to win games. All of those guys, players that Nick Casario has brought in during the year. Now, while D'Amico gave Casario credit for Desmond King, uh, I think that's a cop out. I don't think you can give Nick Casario credit for bringing Desmond King back if you because you cut Desmond King. So I'm sorry, that's a wash to me. I'm not giving him Desmond. I'm not giving uh, Casario Desmond King. But you look at like you won the most important game of the season this past week, and you did it in convincing fashion. You had some players hurt, so it kind of skews some things up a little bit. But look at your offensive line. Like Charlie Heck was a guy that not many people thought of that Casario kind of believed in. Dieter was signed in free agency this past offseason. Shaq Mason was traded for. Juice Scruggs was a high draft pick. Many people thought it was a reach. Uh, the Patterson. left tackle for the Texans got hurt. Well, I'm talking about players that played on Sunday. Oh. That helped you win on Sunday. Then you look at the receivers. Robert Woods, you brought it in free agency. Nico Collins was being criticized, and Casario was being criticized for drafting Nico Collins up until this year. Brevin Jordan's been okay-ish, played fullback there. I think Mechie's been not very good. Hutchinson played 43% of the snaps, was a sixth rounder. And then you look at the defensive side of the ball um Derek Stingley who has been criticized a ton because they drafted him ahead of sauce has been unbelievable this year whenever he has played Christian Harris was a second round pick Steven Nelson was a free agent that he brought in we just mentioned Desmond King we're not giving Casario credit for that because he cut him Barnett played 69 percent of the snaps was a, was a waiver pickup DeAndre Houston Carson who was that so you look up and down this roster and Casario I didn't mention Hughes. Hughes was a free agent a couple years ago. Well, you can throw Hughes in. Yeah. That was a Casario find. I was talking more guys that have been brought in this year, but Hughes is, Hughes is a Casario guy. So you look at this roster, it is heavily influenced by Nick Casario. Yes, D'Amico and the coaching staff have to bring the most out of them. They have to establish the culture. They have to scheme it up. But I believe there's good football coaches every year in the NFL that get fired because their roster sucks. I don't think you can win nine games in the NFL, even with a poor schedule, if your roster sucks. So I agree with D'Amico. I think Casario probably deserves more credit than really anybody's willing to give him. Yeah, and I think that a lot of that is because your general football fans, too, that are fans of this team, we were, we were discussing it, too. If in a year's time last year in the offseason, a lot of things didn't start to show progress and, and he didn't hit on you know a lot of the guys that we're talking that you're talking about as well as the draft picks, 
that maybe Nick was going to be rightfully put on a hot seat with a very short leash and a chance to be out of here rather quickly on a six-year deal. We were discussing whether he was going to make it halfway through. And now that's kind of what I alluded to in terms of in his mind, his internal clock or whatever his internal plan was that we will never be privy to. We kind of got the feeling in the, the, the overall that, hey, the first two years are going to be basically washes and you just need a bridge to kind of escape the Bill O'Brien era and climb out of cap hell and, re, you know, get back to common level grounded footing before you can move forward. But now none of us could have expected, or at least I personally did not expect them to turn it around this quickly once they got to level footing. And when you talk about all the guys you mentioned, when you see how a lot of the draft picks have come through, it was like he had this clock of going, I'm going to get the fighting Rex Burkheads for the first couple of years. I'm just going to get guys that have NFL experience that understand the game, whether they can still play it at a high level or not, and just kind of bide my time until. But once he got to that moment of until, He's done a ton, even recently. You know, how many times are we saying in the past, hey, kick the tires on this guy. Hey, bring that guy in. Even if it's midseason, there's a chance he's better than what you have. And they were reluctant to do that. This year, they've been the opposite. They've been picking and choosing, and the guys that they've picked and and chosen have stepped up at the right time in big moments. I mean, even the fact that he brought in a guy like Case Keenum, and we thought it was just going to be a big brother for a first-time head coach, and that's all he was going to be was a mentor that was never going to see the field. And then he wins what arguably the biggest game of the year for you before the game coming up yeah. or the game last week. Yeah, I would argue that Case's biggest impact on this team is the tutelage sure. of, of Stroud. But yeah, I mean, you're one fewer win in the two games that he starts. You're not... It's a right. playoff team. This is not a this is not a win and you're in game. Uh, so that yeah, I mean all those moves add up. I think Casario deserves some credit. D'Amico's the first one to throw that credit to Casario too. So like, are you willing to give some of that credit to Nick Casario? Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN Busy Show. Cash them or trash them Tuesday with the Killer Bees. That's always a, a whole lot of fun. We got to get to the college football playoffs. That was some unbelievable ball. That was a fun night of college football. One of the best nights of college football in quite some time. Rockets beat up on the Pistons yesterday. Maybe a rotation that you can build around for the Houston Rockets. I know it's a bad team in in Detroit, but that looked good yesterday. Also, we got to have our show's New Year resolutions. No like, well, I'm going to lose weight this year. No. What are the Killer Bees going to do as a radio show? And what are you going to do as a listener of the Killer Bees? What are your resolutions? Uh, We'll get to that later as well. 713-780-3776. The HRMP listener line. We're on the Twitch. Twitch Twitch.com. TV slash ESPN 97.5. He's at Pac-Man Joel on Twitter. He's at Joe George Radio on Twitter. I'm at Jeremy Branham. Where does the 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 flowers, where does the credit go for the Houston Texans already locking in a winning record? How much is the roster? How much is it D'Amico? How much of it is Casario? How much of it is Hannah McNair? 713-780-3776. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Guys, I want to tell you, you felt a little cold in the air. You, you start worrying about your biggest investment. That's your house. And you wonder about ways you can take care of it better. Protect it more. Make sure that it lasts longer. I want to tell you about the people at Allstate Siding and Windows because they're the best in the business at doing the things that create the outer shell that protects everything on the inner half of that house, like your family, like your energy bills, like making sure that that structure stays in a very top quality form and fashion. Remodeling, you don't need painting, staining, repairing your home if you have quality siding. They're the experts in siding. They have a huge selection of colors and quality products. You can get siding that's more durable against wind and weather and impact, last longer, keep its color, and give it an overall better aesthetically look and feel to it, but also the way that it keeps energy in and be energy efficient. That's why you look at people like Allstate Siding and Windows. Windows, same thing. You get double-paint vinyl windows. They're, again, they can protect against hurricanes. They do all the tough stuff for you so that you have all the benefits of saving up to 40% on your energy bills. Both are quality investments. You can explore both at the same spot. It's a family-owned business, been in, been in operation for over uh, 40 years. The family still runs it. Mary's at the top. She does everything with her brother. They make sure that the, everything is right for you, and, and they're going to take care of you every step of the way. 12 months, no interest. Nine months, same as cash. They do it all for you. Lots of specials going on. I encourage you to take a look. They can come out to your house and see what they can do for you. They can tell you what they can do. It's not going to cost you a thing. 832-204-1936. 832-204-1936, or check out their website today, allstatesidingandwindows.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and enjoy this next bit of brilliance with Joel and Jeremy, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios. It's the Killer Bees. 
one four eight three says I'm not going to drink no more, but not any less either. I don't know if that means that he's going to continue drinking or he's not. But we mean from a listener point of view. I don't care if you're going to lose weight. I don't care if you're going to stop smoking. What are you going to do as a listener to help our hive, to help the killer bees? Seven one three seven eight zero ESB. We'll spend way more time on that uh, a little bit later. Blankers mentioning another name that you have to give some credit to Casario for Devin Singletary. Like where would this running attack be? If it weren't for Devin Singletary, that was one of my best takes this year. Was that Devin Singletary is going to outproduce Damian Pierce? People thought I was nuts. Now a lot of it's because Pierce never really adapted to the scheme. But where would you be? Where would this running game be if you didn't have a Devin Singletary? Yeah, and whether you blame it on system or not, and we've talked about it, I, I, I think that from a couple of weeks ago when we were discussing is he back and what are they going to do to now he becomes more and more important that I think it becomes increasingly a better chance with each passing game and each performance that some way, shape, or form, he's going to be back on this roster next year. He's going to be a part of what they do because he understands the scheme. He understands the system. He excels in the system. He does so many different things well that they need. I just think he's going to be back, and and he's become such a big part of this offense. When you came into this season, we were talking about the two best players on this roster being Pierce and and, um, Petrie. And you look at it and go, was that because the rest of the roster was that bad? Or was that because these two guys just didn't fit their schemes now and they had, in the case of Petrie, had a really bad season? You don't know, but you wouldn't say that either one of those guys right now are in the top five on either side of the football. I'm not ready to lock in Singletary as a member of the Texans next year. I will give him his flowers for the value that he has meant and Casario for the find. But I'm wondering if Casario is like, well, if I can find a Devin Singletary, maybe I can out-recruit a Devin Singletary. Maybe I can find, you know, Saquon Barkley. Like, maybe that's out of the price range. I'm just throwing out an arbitrary name, not name specifically. But they're going to have cap space. He is the guy who found a Singletary. I wonder if he's the guy that tries to upgrade. But even and depending on what happens with Pierce too, that's a big factor as well. But even if you need a third third back or a second back, depending on what you do, price obviously matters. I'm always talking about like you don't overpay if you got a guy that can play. But at the same time, now enough people in this league have seen what he's done in this system, and I'm sure there's going to be a general manager or two that might be willing to overpay or more than you're willing to pay for a guy that succeeded so well in this system on this team. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like he might outproduce what you think value, he's yeah. actually worth uh, because maybe he's, he's a scheme fit. Maybe you can uh, upgrade over that. 713-780-ESPN, HRMP listener line. Uh, 8815, I say anyone who caused in ripping Casario doesn't know what they're talking about. Casario proved his worth when he came in and flipped 40 men off the roster and placed them to clean out a B.O.B.'s B.S. Uh, to me, the Casario's, Casario's made some, some trivial moves. There's no doubt about that. Like Kenyon Green, still a trivial move. You know, I, I think that Stingley is a fine pick, uh, but I can certainly listen to Sauce would have been a better pick. Overall, I think Casario's done a good job. I, I, he's not definitely not perfect. No, he's nowhere near perfect. But overall, I would say he's done a good job. The, the thing that I think Casario could have done early that would have his approval rating from the city be a little bit better is if he was very honest at the very beginning, saying, look, we're rebuilding the first couple of years. Mm-hmm. Because when he's like, oh, we'll trust the process, not the result. We are not a rebuilding team. You say those things, and then you hire David Cully and Lovey Smith, you're contradicting yourself. If he would have been very transparent and honest at the beginning, look, we have stuff to turn over. We're going to rebuild. We're going to get this back on track. It might take a little bit of time. People might not like to have heard that right away, but it would have made more sense of the moves that you made after having that initial press conference. Yeah, I think we could spend multiple segments, I think, at a certain point if we were going to break down what he could have done to mm-hmm. increase his approval rating. Because you can go the Kenyon Green move alone, right? And obviously everybody's going to always scrutinize the comparison with two guys that play the same position like Sauce and Stingley. But when you look at the fact that how he handled Kenyon Green after that in this offseason and how I was just adamant about the fact that if you knew in May it wasn't an if, it was a when – then what are you doing? And, and, and the coaching carousel thing, that was just such a debacle over a two-year span that if he had gotten the one guy that became the bridge guy and that you didn't have to see and feel and hear all of the backlash about how poorly the whole thing was handled, I think his approval rating would have gone up substantially. Seven one three seven eight zero espn 8863 D'Amico and staff, 50%. Players, 35%. Ownership, GM, 15%. All still getting credit. Most people thought uh, the roster sucked, thought the roster wouldn't win much. Look, I didn't think the roster was very good. That's why 
you know, fast forward five months that you have to look back. Yeah, I was wrong about the roster. If this roster can win nine games, and look, not taken away from the coaching staff at all because they have to bring out the best of these players. They have to out-scheme the other coaching staff. I thought D'Amico and his staff was very good. Like, whenever they hired D'Amico, I was pumped up for that. I thought that they had a really good coaching staff that was going to turn this organization around. I didn't think in year one they had the roster that was capable of winning nine games. So, rewind it. Still feel very good about D'Amico, but I, I sold the roster short. And a, l- a large part of that is C.J. Stroud. Like, if you didn't sure. if you didn't have the quarterback, if you had the Davis Mills instead of a C.J. Stroud, it's probably a six-win team, a five-win team, not a, not a nine- or a ten-win team. No, and I, I, I'm the same way. That's why when, when I said I thought they were only going to win four games, a lot of it was because I was talking about the fact you had three guys in the first time ever in their positions. C.J. Stroud was a first-time rookie quarterback. Bobby Slowick was calling plays for the first time as an OC. D'Amico's in his first time as a head coach in the NFL. And you're looking at it going, they're going to make mistakes. There's going to be things that happen that they, they have never had to deal with before, or maybe they've never seen before, and then they're dealing with a new playbook, and all the roster is doing the same thing. They're getting a new coaching staff, new playbook on both sides of the football, and all that takes time. And depending on who you talk about and all the players that analyze it, especially from a quarterback position, you might not have a full grasp on that playbook for six months. I mean, it takes time. Mm-hmm. And so with all of those things being in the conversation of trying to put it in the evaluation – I didn't think this was going to be a successful year in terms of wins and losses, but I thought they finally had the right people in place that over the big picture of time was going to take them where they needed to go. Step in the right direction. Right. I thought it'd be a step in the right direction, not a, not a winning season. 3451 says Cal Smoker needs at least 10%. It's a great point. Like, what would the morale of the fan base be if Cal's didn't bust out his smoker at least once a year to feed the fans at NRG State? Well, not even NRG Stadium. The practice fields yeah. over on Kirby. Cal Smoker, maybe even more than 10% for Cal Smoker. It, it brings up the morale of the city every time Cal dusts off that smoker. I thought he was referring to Cal Smoker being Hannah because, you know, Cal Smoker. It, if you want to split that up into ownership, Hannah's going to get a whole lot more credit than Cal because his significant other has been a difference maker in a lot of people's minds as to changing the complexion of everything, the way this organization is looked, how they're perceived and looked at mm-hmm. from ownership to just the way she gets involved, the way she's passionate. I mean, everybody was going crazy retweeting her little sweep of the Titans this weekend. Credit, credit, but, where, credit who's, who's, who posted that? You? No, I did post that. Oh. I don't, I don't remember. I just wanted to hear you say figgy fig. <laughs> oh, was I saw it from a couple different places that they kept putting. Oh, no, I think, think Sarge had it, too. Well, I think, oh, uh, did he? I think, I thought Sarge I saw had it, too. I saw it from figgy. I, figgy okay. was the one that I saw, like, uh, I saw his initial post. I don't know what was retweeted. Uh, five zero, uh, five eight zero six. why are these guys called rookie quarterbacks? CJ Stroud has been playing quarterback since he was 12 years old. It's funny when I hear the term rookie. <laughs> What? Do we have to answer that? Yeah. Because uh, it's his first year in the NFL, and that's what they call first-year players in the NFL. They call them rookies, no matter how long they've been playing football. What are we doing? <laughs> I had a guy that's a uh, I mean, we, got, we got people texting us yesterday. Is Will Anderson a Hall of Famer? Oh, yeah, we had that. We got, why do we call them rookies? 2024 the is off one, to a banger of a start. The first one I can respect a little bit. Like, the first one's like, like make your, pro- your proclamation now. Like, make it known now. Like, that's fine to me. Like, it's it's still, there's tons to do, obviously. And it's hard to make that call in year one. But why are they called rookies as an all-timer? Like, that's a banger there. What a question. That's a, that's a banger. Is that a bad take? Uh, I think, yes. It's, is it, it a take? You can, I might be well, able to nitpick He's basically take. telling you. I might be able to nitpick take, but I would. I mean, I have no problem putting it on I there. I think it should be there. No problem putting it on See, there. See, I had the I had the one guy that's a co- soccer coach here in town that was coming at me during the Packer game, basically saying that if this was Jordan Ludd's rookie season, which it should be considered because this is his first time starting, that it would be like one for the record books. Like it would be one of the greatest of all time. It kept going, and I kept going. And he wanted me to change my opinion on Jordan Love, which I still haven't done. And I'm like, look, I'll give him credit for running the offense. I'll give him credit for having a successful season as a team. But overall, like, are you trying to say that Jordan Love should be considered a rookie? And if he was, that he'd be one of the greatest of all time? I'm not ready to do that. That's my favorite thing about Twitter arguments is that people try to change other people's opinions. Like, eh, all the time. it's not really going to work. Zero four four six. I think while we're throwing percentages around, I would throw 2% at Lovey Smith for winning that game last year. I hear you. I understand. I don't like that logic. I much rather like have the first pick than the second pick, and then allow my general manager to go out and make the right decision. But what do you? Have? I think it's fair to say three zero six two Domico. He spelled it D O M I C O. Domico, almost like Domino. Domico brought accountability. Um, he did. 
You're 100% right. I think he brought accountability, and I think he brought culture and the winning mindset. I would say D'Amico, from an accountability, a culture, a winning mindset, has brought more to the team than his defensive prowess. Hot take? Cash it or trash it? Oh, no, I I think that's accurate. I, I think as much as we know how good he's been on defense and everything like that, he was exactly what the doctor ordered that they desperately needed, which was believability, trust. I think trust was so huge. No one trusted Bill O'Brien. No one trusted Jack Easterby. No one knew. No one trusted uh, Cully because no one thought he knew what he was doing, and he'd never done anything close to this before. And, and Lovey quickly lost a, a majority of the trust because the game has, had passed him by. So when, when he came in saying, I need to first out find out who I can trust, as he started to put his staff together and understand the organization, getting back into it, the bigger thing was the locker room trusted him from day one and understood who was in charge and then really quickly understood the structure and how they were going to do things, and that made the world a difference. Honey Glaze Branham says, got to give 10% credit to uh, the field crew. They play on turf. They play on turf. Now their practice field is grass, so you can nitpick technicality me there. All right, 713-780-ESPN, HRP listener line, 713-780-3776. Don't ignore in victory what you wouldn't in defeat. Every Tuesday that the Texans win a game, we complain a little bit about the Texans, and we don't ignore in victory what we wouldn't in defeat. What are you not ignoring in victory, which you wouldn't in defeat? 713-780-3776. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. I never ignore Gentle Ben because I like a good drink at the end of the day. Vodka, gin, bourbon, all in that rotation for me, and Gentle Ben Spirits does it better than any else. How? With their revolutionary Perseido technology that eliminates impurities for the cleanest, smoothest spirits you will ever taste. Purification of Gentle Ben is unrivaled. You'll love what's not in Gentle Ben, including undesirable acids. These acids take the enjoyment out of your drinks. Well, Gentle Ben gets rid of the undesirable acid so you can enjoy your drink. Try a sip of Gentle Ben vodka, gin, straight bourbon, or cast strength bourbon. Compare it to what you drink and you will never go back. I've been a Gentle Ben man ever since I had that first sip. You will be too. You get all the flavor, none of the burn. Smooth. It is clean. Enjoy your drink. Don't work through your drink. Look for Gentle Ben at the liquor store. Ask for it at your favorite restaurant or your favorite bar. Uh, Look for Gentle Ben too at the Toyota Center. When you go to a Rockets game, there's a Ben's bar inside the Toyota Center. You can pick up some Gentle Ben on the way to your seat. Or, if you're like me, you can just order straight from the website. Go to GentleBen.com, add your favorite liquor to your cart. They'll deliver it straight to your door. GentleBen.com, order online at their website. Gentle Ben, period. Welcome back to the Killer Bees Nuts, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Here's Joel Blank and that Jeremy Branham guy. You think Spencer's New Year resolution will be to be uh, stop being so crude? You think he's added that to his resolution list? Shouldn't we start by being Spence? a little bit more of a crude talent evaluator instead of calling Davis Mills' skill sets elite? It's fair. Thought I'd throw that out there. It's again. fair. Spencer's had some bad takes over the history of his uh, of his time. Uh, more bad takes than touchdowns. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> what are you not ignoring in victory what you wouldn't defeat? He's blank on Branham. 713-780-3776. We're all happy the Texans won. You're never going to play a perfect game. You always aspire to be perfect, but you're never going to be perfect. What are areas that stood out to you in victory that you can't ignore and you wouldn't in defeat? Especially with a big game coming up on Sunday or Saturday. I keep saying Sunday. Big game coming up Saturday night. It's basically a playoff game Saturday night, which is great. What are you not ignoring? in defeat which you wouldn't or what are you not ignoring in victory which you wouldn't in defeat well I'll, I'll give you part of the credit for this because of the fact that you tweeted something like this with some of the Texans players but I think overall one of the things that you see as a trend in the NFL just look at Chubb in Miami like you start talking about when is the game out of hand whether you're winning it or losing it and when do you start sitting your most valuable assets because it's one thing if you're a team that's not going anywhere and the season at the end of the season is all you're looking forward to and you're evaluating talent or you're doing whatever you're doing. But when you're a team that's on the cusp of the playoffs or you're a team like Miami who's going to be in the playoffs and some of the other teams around the league, you got the old Kenny Rogers song, you got to know when to hold them, when to fold them. You got to know when to sit them down. And more and more teams in this league are going to find out when you feel like you got a game at hand or you're getting blown out, get your good players out of there. Yeah, do you feel like the Texans didn't do this? I, I thought they left CJ in a little long. I think that you know you you mentioned in, in the part of what I was alluding to on the Twitter that Tunsil was still in there, and, and we've talked about it in the past. Like when CJ got hurt, he oh, was in the there Jets. in a blowout game. Yeah, 
Like, when you start looking at overall as this coaching staff, we're talking about when they're going to take some lumps, they're going to learn some things, they're going to make some mistakes. One thing they got to learn now that they're getting better is when to start sitting some of their better players, especially guys that are nicked up or, you know, guys that you can't afford to be without. The the Jets game that stood out to me. For sure. uh, Stroud, like... uh, you know, I wouldn't have taken Stroud out yet in the Jets game. The one that he got, I would have given him one more series. The one that he ended up getting concussed on, which stinks. Now, Laramie Tunsil playing in a twenty. Whoops, dang it. Uh, Seventy-eight playing in a blowout game in New York up to the final whistle was dumb. Yep. Uh, I didn't really see it this past week. Like you, you can make the case that Stroud was in one series too long, but it was one series where they handed it off three times, so they, at least they kept them safe. Now, what Mike McDaniel did, and I love Mike McDaniel. Mike McDaniel was one of my top three favorite coaches in the NFL. Playing Bradley Chubb all the way until what the three minute mark when they're down like four scores is flat out ignorant yep. it's dumb and i know that with a 46 man roster you can't bench every starter it's not mathematically possible but you take out your best players you take out your top three four five best players on each side of the ball and not doing so is flat out ignorant they three tua chubb and there was one other key starter that I got, think it was howard and howard ended up getting right. hurt now he's, he's questionable he's, he's, yeah that's right and they thought he was done for the year at the time that he ignorant. got hurt but that's why i was thinking about it from a texan's perspective going hey look you know, Will Anderson's been fighting an ankle injury. You know the fact that, you know, you've got most of your receivers are dinged up, and you know that Schultz has missed some time, but specifically Noah Brown and Nico have been dinged yeah. up as well. Like, these are guys that you you know how much different the offense is when you lose guys like this as starters. When you're up three scores in the fourth, in the, I just, I'd start sitting them down. Yeah, I think that D'Amico did a pretty good job of it this past week, uh, you know, 78, almost slipped up again. 78 got hurt early in the second quarter, so like you didn't have to make mm-hmm. that decision. He was just already hurt. Will Anderson only played 12 snaps. They ended up getting Stroud out. Maybe a series too late, but they ran it three snaps times. Fourth? Anderson? Yeah. No, 12 snaps, period. The whole game? He played 12 snaps, period. Really? Yeah. Why did I not realize? Because he had, cause he, he was, what, he had a sack sacks. and a half? Two. Yeah, two. He had two sacks and six quarterback pressures. <laughs> 12 snaps. Like, great game. Yeah. Off, and as good of a game as it was for Anderson, it was equally poor for Andre Dillard and Andre Dillard's understudy. He played 12 snaps right. in that game. I, uh, I didn't realize it was that low. <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, some textures here. What are you not ignoring in uh, victory, which you wouldn't in defeat? 6974-5912. Both say the red zone offense. So I, I kind of defend the red zone offense in that specific game. Like you're up multiple scores. You're trying to keep C.J. Stroud healthy. You probably don't want to play your best red zone stuff knowing you have a playoff game the following week when you're up three possessions. So I think when you look at that game in a vacuum, singularly the Titans game, I was okay that a few of these drives stalled out. Obviously, I would much rather have six than three, but I totally understand keeping CJ safe, don't want to show your best red zone stuff with the Colts game looming, so I get that. Now, I will concede it's been an issue all year long. I will concede that it can't continue in Week 18 if you want to beat the Colts in what amounts to a playoff game, or if you get into the playoffs, you got to start converting some of these red zone trips to touchdowns. I went and looked at the numbers on this to see See where the Texans stack up relative to the rest of the NFL. Guess where they are in converting red zone trips to touchdowns. In terms of like one through thirty two, yeah, one through thirty two, one being the best uh, in the NFL, thirty two being the worst. Sixteenth, eighteenth. Right, you almost nailed it. So that's below average. That's below yeah. average. And if you want to be a playoff team, if you want to be one of the better teams in the NFL, if you want to at some point be a contender in the NFL. I think you got to be like top ten. Mm-hmm. I thought I think you got to be top ten. The Texans are tenth in, in uh, offense total yards in the NFL. They're like thirteenth or fourteenth in scoring. Like their offense is outproducing the points that they score. And quite frankly, I think that needs to flip. And if they want to beat the Colts and if they want to make any sort of like hay in the playoffs, you got to convert these uh, trips to the red zone into touchdowns. I think you're right from a contending standpoint for sure. You have to be inside of the top ten to be considered a contender uh, in, in this league. I think you can be. I, I, you, no matter what, you have to be above average. And, 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 you know, we've been able to, and Joe started it early in the season in terms of their ineptness in terms of short yardage plays and fourth and ones. But overall, it, you just look at it. I, I will say this, too, about this last weekend. Credit to Bobby Slowick and to CJ in the fact that they didn't do too much. CJ knew when to kind of pull up. He wasn't going to try and, and get extra yards or take the hits, and he was very conscious of that, it looked like, and I was happy for that, and Sloak wasn't putting him in harm's way. So I like the way all that went. 
Good catch there. That could have been far worse than it was. Uh, 713-780-ESPN. What are you not ignoring in victory? What you wouldn't in defeat? 6974. Petrie's not a cover safety. Need to find secondary help and draft a free agency. I, I think he's more of a box safety than a cover safety. Joe and I were talking about this a little bit yesterday. The one, like, I agree that Petrie's not been good this year. The one defense I would have for Petrie, though, is that most of the mistakes he's made has been more like knowing what to do in the defense, like knowing what to do in this specific scheme, what to do with this philosophy that D'Amico has. It hasn't been physical. So that encourages me for Petrie's future with the Texans, with D'Amico, is that like if he can kind of clean up some of the mental stuff, his physical traits are still plenty good enough. Now, to rotate, I mean, just to kind of understand this, when we're talking about like the mental stuff, is that also the angles he's taken? I think it's more the decisions. Okay, like, because you look I also at what think he got benched in the Browns game whenever yeah. Amari Cooper had the touchdown, where he kind of went to the middle route, like intermediate route, instead of making sure he was there for the deep route. D'Amico's philosophy defensively is we don't give up shot plays, we don't give up explosives. Because the main thing that I, I noticed all year long, more than anything else, that's glaring with him is he gets beat over the top a lot, and his angles are bad a lot, and and it's it's never more glaring than on the deep balls. And it wasn't just the Cleveland game; it's been all season where it looks like. He's just not he's not grasping and and getting the getting the right angle to get to the football on the deep footballs. We know he can hit. We know he can tackle. We know that he's not afraid to put his nose in there, but you hope that as good as he was a year ago when people were overselling him, people will also be a little understanding of him this year in terms of it, it might take a little bit now for him to take that next jump that everybody already had penciled him in for to make the Pro Bowl and do all these great things. XX Wrong says they needed uh, they need some better linebackers. Their linebackers in coverage are weak. I, I would I would agree. I think their linebackers are better at like getting downhill. Like Perriman's pretty good when he gets downhill. Christian Harris pretty good when he's getting downhill. He, both of them not great in coverage. I think they could upgrade there as well. Uh, more of that. That's more off season stuff. Cover. Um, yeah, he's, he's their best cover guy that they have. Uh, is Cashman like a starting linebacker on an 11 or 12 win team? Maybe. Depends on where you're playing. Maybe. Yeah, I mean. He's been their best linebacker this year. No doubt. He's been their best linebacker this year. Uh, I'm not ignoring the injury concern going into what amounts as a playoff game. Uh, the Texans are treating today like a Wednesday because they're playing on a Saturday night. So the Texans have uh, put out their first injury report of the week, their Wednesday injury report on a Tuesday. Will Anderson did not practice. Andrew Beck did not practice. Noah Brown did not practice. Malik Collins did not practice. John Grenard did not practice. Sheldon Rankins did not practice. Larry 78 did not practice. Robert Woods did not practice. Did they have practice? That is a laundry list. Of, that's that's scary. That's yeah. scary going into a must-win game. I think that you would understand the fact that at this point in the season, they're not going to make anybody practice too much this week to make sure that they have the best chance to play Saturday night. But yeah, it's concerning because it basically just highlights and it, it basic and it, it sheds light on the fact that this team has done everything that it's done, and it's done it with the last over the last month with a boatload of injuries. And so credit to them for that. But I think they're going to take every precaution and nurse these guys all the way till Saturday night, knowing it's not about reps right now. It's not about your cardio and where you're at. It's about making these guys as healthy as they can be for the biggest game of their season. Yeah. Um, the final thing that I'm not going to ignore, and this has nothing to do with the game on Sunday. This has everything to do with the game way back on September 17th, 2023, when the Colts beat the Texans at NRG Stadium 31-20. to that final score, a bit misleading. The Texans scored 10 points in the fourth quarter. The Colts didn't score a point in the fourth quarter. The Colts were up 21 points in that game. Uh, that was the game when the the Texans, that was the, the most yards they've given up on the ground all year, 126 yards, the most yards they've given up on the ground all year. Jonathan Taylor did not play in that game. I look back at that game, Blankers, and I'm, I'm probably putting more stock in it than I should because it happened so very long ago. Like, Damian Pierce was your leading carrier, had 15 carries. Singletary had four. Uh, mentioned Jonathan Taylor did not play. Anthony Richardson was still playing, at least for two series. That's the game he got hurt. Got hurt in every game he played, it seemed like. I look back at that game, though, and I remember Shane Steichen out-scheming D'Amico Ryans. Oh, I remember the Colts out, like, running all over that Houston Texans defense. Yes, it was a long time ago. But that game, way back when, still strikes fear in my heart. Take it, take it a step further, big picture, Jeremy. It has been a house of horrors for the history of this franchise. Going on the road to Indy has been an absolute bleep show if you're a Texans fan. It has been tough. It, it has been a, a, a difficult place to win. They normally play their worst football. And you're right. They got worked early in the year by, by Steichen and, and by the Colts. We talked about the fact that he got out coached. that 
they ran all over the place. And that was without their best running back. So you have to, it was Moss had a monster game in that game, uh, here at NRG. They're going to, I heard the, I heard, um, Connor and Beard talking about the fact they got to play like they're over their heads. They got to play, I don't think they have to play over their heads. They just have to play a solid defensive game where they can stop the run and they can make things a little bit more difficult that, uh, on the quarterback, and in this case, Minshew, for the Colts because, Steichen's going to throw a bunch of stuff at you, and more so than what you saw in, in that first ma- matchup, he is a good coach. They're going to come back. They're going to throw some things that you you got to be ready for. And the main thing is you're going to have to stop the run because if they can set the tone with the run, they can do whatever the hell they want, and now you're in even bigger trouble. And, and I just feel like they have to be prepared and understand the fact that this is a not only a good football team, it's a very well-coached football team. Yeah, they uh... – Steichen scares me a little bit, and I kind of like. Well, we'll talk about more Colts Texans later in the week. Seven one three seven eight zero ESP at HRP Listener Line seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Last night was awesome. College football semifinals were amazing last night. What are some of the takeaways of the uh, college football playoff that we saw yesterday? Michigan beating Bama. How about that karma? Washington beating Texas. Almost gifted them the game, though. It was kind of stupid, some of the stuff they were doing late. Uh, 713-780-3776. Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Williams in motion. Low snap. Melrose stopped. Michigan makes a stand and comes up with a milestone playoff victory. To advance to the national championship game, Ewers loves it up and it is incomplete. Intended for Mitchell. Elijah Jackson had the coverage. Washington hangs on and wins. What a night of college football that was. That was some fun. I'm glad the NFL gave them the stage and didn't have a Monday night football game. Maybe that's a technicality based on them going into week 18. I don't think it would be, though, because there's games on Saturday. But what a great night of college football it was. Which one do you want to start with here? Your pick. I mean, I, I think the funny thing was is the the NFL decided to give the re, the reprieve to the NCAA and let them have their moment, and then they attacked the NBA, and they won. Yeah. I, I don't know... I don't know if the NFL gave them this or it just happened to be this. I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, the NFL usually is the bully, though. You know, the yeah. NFL usually. But does good on what them if want. it's just building the sport because you know the all, uh, majority of the best players that we saw last night are going to play for, in the NFL and it builds the sport. But yeah, I, I just thought it was interesting that whether it was a quirk in the the schedule or they planned it this way worked out great for us. Do you think that Bill O'Brien watched these games back-to-back and said, see, I told you I was right? Do you think he watched Jalen Milrow play the first game and then Michael Penix play the second game and said, see, this is what I was talking about. I this is about what it. I meant. I thought about it during the Alabama game for sure. I thought that he would. He was basically, basically yelling to somebody that he was right because – Look, the the Alabama offensive line was not good. The beasts are on the on the defensive side of the football for Michigan's front seven and their front line. They are unbelievable. I, I thought that just to the common NFL or common college football fan that everybody was bitching about what a boring game that was. Those were two titans. That, yeah, I had so many guys, friends of mine, and guys in the gym and and guys that I saw in the grocery store today that were just like, "God, that game sucked." I go, "How did that game suck? It went to overtime, and it was." Two highly talented teams trying to find something that they could get to work against the other squad. I enjoyed watching that game. I enjoyed watching both games. But you saw so much talent on the field for both of those teams. I just felt like the offensive line for Alabama just didn't didn't do their job. I got called. Well, I think a little bit's Milrow not getting rid of the football. Like, Penix was under pressure a lot, got rid of the football quickly. I got called. Uh, I can't remember if I got called Jeremy Bayless or Skip Branham because I said that Michigan and Washington were going to win these games. Yeah. Oh, you're a hot take artist. Well, Michigan and Washington won these games. Uh, I, w- I, w- I didn't want Alabama to win. Uh, I felt like they shouldn't have been in. I felt like they didn't have one of the best four resumes in college football. I felt Florida State had a better resume, and I don't want to hear that Georgia killed them in their bowl game. Florida State was playing their number fours. They were playing their fourth team. They had 20 guys that were out. I was going to say, that it was 20 to 28, I heard, something yeah. like that. And that look, was crazy. Alabama proved that they were worthy. Uh, I'm not going to deny that. They took Michigan in overtime. They very well could have won that football game. They were up with the final drive in the fourth quarter. I mean, I'm not going to say that they weren't worthy. That would be ignorant. They were worthy. I just didn't feel like they deserved because I didn't think they had one of the four best resumes. Uh, now, was it a better game than Michigan-Florida State would have been? Yeah, absolutely it was. But I love the karma of it. I, I hated that I was rooting for a Harbaugh because I can't stand with any of the Harbaugh's. 
But that that just goes to show you how much I didn't want Alabama to win that game yesterday. Uh, so I was happy that Michigan did. The Washington Texas game was phenomenal. Now Washington and the there's a couple of takeaways from the Washington game. First off, that third quarter that Washington played was some beautiful football. Uh, Michael Penix is my is my NFL draft prospect quarterback darling. I love that guy. Yeah, I know he's old. Yeah, I know he's had a little bit of an injury history in the past. He reminds me, and it's because of the lefty thing, but he reminds me of Tua. I think his accuracy is similar to Tua. I think he's got a little bit of a stronger arm than Tua. Uh, I love his demeanor. I love his ability to read defenses. I love the anticipation that touchdown he had in the third quarter where just a little post route, the timing of it to put it in that tight window. I love that guy. I love him. He's going to be the darling. You're right. He, he, you know, Daniels won the Heisman, and you're going to, you're going to see. Everybody in a lot of draft boards right now has him as the third quarterback off the board. That's going to change. Look, he impressed a lot of people. It was not quite to the same magnitude as what CJ did against Georgia when in the Final Four when everybody kind of raised an eyebrow and went, wait a minute, we're reading this guy a little bit wrong. But Michael Penix made sure everybody knows just how talented he is. I thought the first throw on the first drive was a beautifully thrown football, too, on the deep route uh, to the outside uh, to the outside sideline. was a phenomenal throw with the distance that it covered as well. And, and you know, we talked about all, all leading into this game, how talented their receivers are, too. That and Rome how, guy's absurd. Oh, my God. If, if he, he could if land he somehow, here somehow. I was going to say, if he somehow falls into the Texans' range, you've got to take that guy because, boy, he is, he is special. I don't think he will. I don't think he'll be around anywhere near where the Texans are picking unless Casario gets aggressive. When we know that Casario likes to get aggressive, but he I like that guy a lot. Goes into the top ten. Romo D. I think that I don't, I don't know how to Dunzi? say his last name. Dunzi or Dunzi? I, I say Dunze. A Dunze. Yeah. There's a chance that there could be four receivers taken in the top ten with uh, Harrison with, with Jr., Marvin right? Harrison, with Malik Neighbors, with uh, I forget I, can't, I forget the guy's name from Florida State. Oh, uh, Keon Coleman. Keon Coleman, the the second LSU wide receiver, and then Rome. Like there's there's five yeah. like stud like high level first round receivers in this draft. Uh, maybe maybe one of them slides to the Houston Texans. Well, because you think about it, think about what three quarterbacks, maybe four. Um, first rounders, yeah, like yeah, because there's, I mean, Caleb and Drake. I think Daniels will be a first rounder. I can't imagine how Penix is not a first rounder. A lot of people think JJ McCarthy's going to be a first rounder. Yeah, I don't see that with him as I much. don't either. I think he's all right, but he looks small to me. He looks tiny. He, he looks small. And he like, looks like Manziel to me, honestly. Yeah, a lot of people think he, it's because he's twenty and he has moments. But mm. like Jim Harbaugh says, he's the next Andrew Luck. But then, in any big moment, they don't throw the ball down the field. He does He's not. He also I mean, says he's the a, greatest. Is, is it a, the greatest yeah. quarterback, college quarterback in Michigan history? I don't. Uh, okay. Like That's statistically, maybe. Statistically, maybe. When you talk about some of the guys the way they came out, now he did correct it to say obviously Tom Brady is the goat yeah. of pro game. That's why statistically yeah. you could say that. I mean, Tom but got they had some good college. quarterbacks from back in they the day. They just never put up huge numbers. They did have good quarterbacks. They just never put up huge numbers. Uh, he's small to me though. Like the Andrew Luck comp is awful. It's so bad. It's just, he's it's tiny. Just coach. Pumping up his guy. I think Stetson Bennett a lot. Like the, he's going to come up like with. Yeah, he's he's going to come in with some talented. hype. Maybe a little. Yeah, I can see that. Like a but bigger arm. Leadership and everything was Bennett's big keys too. But I, I think that there, I just don't see him on the next level being anywhere either. near as successful. I mean, I think he'll be draft. I don't see him as a first round pick. Not that's not to say that some team won't reach and draft him in the first round. Johnny Manziel got drafted in the sure. first round for goodness sakes, but he doesn't look like a first round point, quarterback to me. Whereas Penix does. I think Penix is a stud. If we're saying three or four. And we're saying all, all all the quarterbacks say okay three three or four quarterbacks say four three or four receivers maybe five mm-hmm. they, you got two like projected all pro left tackles you got yeah. tight end you got Bowers yeah is going to be up this there draft is good yeah good so it, with all that being said there's a chance that one of those could slide down to where the Texans well, are even drafted if, like, for me it's like if Egbuka from Ohio State the other Ohio State wide yep. receiver is there at 24, 25. like I think he's an, another first round talent. You could also just get one in the third like Tang Dell and draft like a Tyler Linderbaum type center and yeah. just be set, just be good forever. Who uh Brian Hartline is the Ohio State uh receivers coach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's the one that said that that Ohio State receiver is the best receiver he's ever had at Ohio State. And it was like, well, that's a slap in the face to guys that have been there and Marvin Harrison Jr. is still on your roster. Yeah. Um, I, I love Washington's coach, Kalen DeBoer or something like that. Pronounce that something like that. DeBoer, yeah. I absolutely love him. I think he, he's won everywhere he's gone. Look what he's doing at Washington, for goodness sakes. I think he's a fabulous coach. The eye candy that they do pre-snap is amazing. Even like the fake uh, go for on fourth down, try to get him to draw offside. You go into a second option, you take the timeout, you go for I love him. I think he's a great head coach. The way that they handled their final two possessions was 
ignorant, and they deserve to lose the football game. Just third down pass play. The third down pass play was ignorant. Yeah. Run the football, force Texas to take their second timeout, go into a delayed nil, and Texas never even touches the football right. again. Yet Texas had four chances, at, well, three chances at the end zone because you decided to throw it instead of run it on third down late in the game when all you needed was a field goal. Yep. All you needed was a field goal there. Uh, I thought the way that he handled the last two possessions, I mean, teachable moment. I don't think he'll ever make this mistake again. I think he's one of the best coaches in college football, the most underrated coach in college football. But they deserve to lose that game with the way they handled right. their last two series. You're right, because it should, never should have come down to that. And that's where you got to look at his entire staff, too, and say, look, if it's something where you're coming up to the, the biggest level from where you've come from, and I know he, he was at smaller schools, and he's a genius offensive mind, and so it looks – but you got to have someone on your staff, someone in your headset, someone in your ears, and guys that are willing to be able to step up and say, hey, coach, we can't do that here. We, we've got to do the smart play, whether you got the little card in your breast pocket uh, of your jacket to, to pull out and says the numbers say do this, analytics says do that. That's a no-brainer. Um, that third down play alone was, was, a, was more than a head-scratcher. It's like, what are you doing? You could have cost your team a chance in the national championship game. Otherwise, I think that he's he's... He's going to be heard from for a long time as a coach. He reminds me a lot of when Boise State came up, put their name on the map in terms of the way they, they ran offense different than everybody else. Let's go out to the HRP listener line real quick. Sneak in Pena. Pena, you're in the hive of the bees. What's up? Hey, uh, happy New Year, Joe. Happy New Year. So, um, uh, I, I don't think that the, the Longhorns were mismatched. I definitely think they lost the game, not Washington winning the game. Well, I'm not going to say it's the Longhorns. Steve Sarkeesian the most, because I was listening to the the commentators and the, the the person that's on the field. It was like midway into the second quarter, and she was like, yeah, guys, uh, Steve Sarkeesian uh, just said that he's not even halfway through his scripted plays. They are like they have like 40-something. And, and instantly I was like, man, most most pro teams, they just do 10, 10 to what, 15. I think they just put too much on to, onto Quinn Ewers. I think uh, Steve was Steve Sarkisian was just outsmarting himself. He was doing way too much, mm-hmm. and that's it, guys. Go Longhorns! Have a great year, guys. Appreciate it, Pena. Uh, Thanks, he, Pena. he does script tons of plays. I was surprised to hear that too. I think they got beat by the. I think they got beat by a better quarterback. Yeah, uh, Quinn Ewers was very mid. Penix was fantastic. I I disagree with Pena. I think Washington was the better team. I, I was going to say the same thing. I'm like I can't say that. I, Washington showed you just the way they came out after halftime. And and prove to you that offense can play with anybody. I mean, it's going to be a, that's going to be the fun matchup to see Michigan's defense, if nothing else, see what they're going to do with an offense that has a good offensive line with those receivers and that quarterback. And like you t- talked about, he gets the ball out of his hands a whole hell of a lot quicker than Milrow. That's going to be the fun part of that matchup to watch right off the jump. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. All right, New Year's resolutions are a thing. What are your Astro New Year's resolutions? What are your Texans New Year's resolutions? What about the Rockets? Your Houston sports resolutions? What are they? Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Killer Bees on ESPN ninety seven five and ESPN ninety two five.